Let's go to Exodus 19. Now, um, there's a guy, you don't need to remember this name, but I'll, but I'll speak his name anyway. His name was Tommy Woodward. He grew up in St. Louis, and in 2015, he moves to Texas. Okay, John, I'm not going there, but he moved to Texas. That didn't go all that well for him, and as I'll explain. Tommy goes to Texas, and shortly after arriving, he's 28 years old, he's seen signs warning that alligators were in the waters of Burkhart's Marina, where he was kind of hanging out. And uh, he, was, he was more than a little skeptical. He kept saying to the folks around there, oh, there's no alligators in Texas. And um, they assured him that there was alligators in the waters around Burkhart's Marina, and a marina employee just kept warning him to stay out of the water, but he scoffed at that. So here, a, a local magistrate describes the scene this way. He removed his shirt, he removed his billfold, he jumped in the water, and almost immediately yelled for help. As a result of his disbelief, Woodward became the first person killed by an alligator in Texas in almost 180 years. That was just three years ago, two couple years ago. Uh, interesting isn't it? He didn't obey, he didn't heed the warnings, and it cost him his life. Now, I hate to, hate to chuckle about that, but it kind of has kind of an interesting uh, uh, ring to it, doesn't it? We see warning signs almost every day. I'm, I'm driving my car yesterday, and it starts, you know, all kinds of wah, wah, wah stuff going on, and it's, you know, you got a low tire. Well, it, it, it's one of these things that have got you know, I can monitor it. I mean, there's one tire that's like a pound less than the other three, and it, it will hardly let me drive without this noise in my ear. So I got to go fix that. All right. I, I got out of the, I mean, it literally said, get out of your, pull over to the side of the road and get out of your car. <laughs> Didn't do that. I did do a walk around, and, you know, it's like, okay, they're all round. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, I'll get that fixed. That being said, a couple of years ago, my daughter ignored that for months and eventually calls me and says, Dad, you got to come pick me up. Okay, you know how that goes. We had to put a new tire on. So we ignore, don't we see warning signs all the time? Many of them that we uh, ignore. I, you know, I've been listening to all this news about uh, what's going on in the world of credit, and I'm, I'm monitoring really closely uh, credit card accounts and my my bank account and all that, because you just don't know. Isn't it interesting that we live in a world where we get lots and lots of warnings, and yet we read every day of stories where people have, who were warned about something, like Tommy Woodward, just kind of ignored it to their own peril. Now, we're going to unpack a chapter today, uh, Exodus 19, where there are warning signs all over the place, and we're going to see whether or not the people of God heeded them. Uh, now, last week we were studying about Abraham, part of the Lord's message in this kind of uh, idea of covenant making and the ceremony uh, that, that was uh, between uh, Abraham and God. And um, now God tells Abraham during that season, he says, one of these days your descendants, remember what the problem was with talking about Abraham's descendants, there were none yet. And he was quite old. But he says, one of these days, not only are you going to have your, some descendants, but those descendants will spend 400 years in a place not their own. And remember, he promised Abraham the uh, land of promise, the land of Canaan, 
sometimes we call it the promised land, right? Uh, gospel songs often talk about the promised land. Nancy, I see your face, and I wanted to just remember, please write out kind of a, a prayer request so we'll get it. Your, your little bitty baby is back in the hospital. Remind me of the baby's name. Hudson. 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 And just, we've been praying off and on about this, and we just want to continue. How, how, old, is, how old is the baby? Okay, okay. I knew it was struggle when when it was born, and uh, okay. And um, so we just, uh, we talked about this coming in, and I neglected to mention it during prayer. So we'll just continue to pray about that. Now, so, uh, <clears throat> God says, okay, not only are you going to have descendants, but they're going to spend 400 years, not in the promised land, but they'll come out of there with a lot of great possessions, the Bible says. Literally, if you read that story, there's a way in which uh, the Israelites leaving Egypt looted the place. And it was kind of voluntary looting. It was, it was very interesting. People just gave them stuff and said, here. Um, and and uh, so they came out of there with lots of things that they didn't have previously. And, um, and, and so... That was talking about the Exodus, which is this book and what it's talking about. Talking about the leadership of Moses as well. Today, as we begin chapter 19, it's going to begin with what the Bible says is in the third month. Now, uh, I've looked at this a, cu a couple of different ways, and you can look at this a couple of different ways. This is either 60 days after their exit from Egypt, after the Passover, or it's between 60 and 90 days. So it's in that third month. Hasn't been very long. They have traversed a ways into the wilderness and they have now come to the desert of Sinai and they've camped in front of what they're going to call uh, throughout history the mountain of God, which was Mount Sinai. There they're going to prepare themselves in this third month to hear from God he delivered them from hard bondage in Egypt. He's about to initiate a covenant relationship with them like he had with, with their many greats, grandfather Abraham, generations before. And, um, and now they are there. So the forthcoming uh, covenant required uh, lots of preparation. It required um, uh, God to list, uh, Moses to listen to God, and the Lord's going to instruct him. He's going he's to remind him what what he has done for them, delivering them, and what, what he intends to do for them in the future, uh, making them kind of a, 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 a treasured possession of his. Uh, now, they're going to voice their willingness to obey there at the foot of the mountain. Um, but did they really understand what was coming at them? That's what we're going to kind of look at. So Moses informed the people that the Lord's going to come down on Mount Sinai to speak to them, literally to speak to them. But he's going to put limits or boundaries around the mountain. Uh, uh, he's going to give them warnings to say, don't come this close. And when it's time, you'll know it. And uh, he just kind of warns them not to get too close. So when they hear the sound of the trumpet, they're allowed to approach, but not before that. We'll see, see that talked about. And in the meantime, he says, get yourself cleaned up. Uh, he's going to call for abstinence and lots of things. He says, get yourself ready to meet with God. And that's where uh, kind of we pick up the story um, in, in um, chapter 19, beginning with verse 16. We'll read 16 through 19. Steve Blair, if you'll get ready to, to read that in just a second. Larry, I was 
thinking about you the other day when I was doing this study because it's interesting. Um, Ron did a car deal the other day and I, was, I, I said to the salesman, whom you, you know better than me, uh, Ford promised us some things and we promised them some, some things, but there was no UOEO. I didn't sign a UOEO, and it was making me nervous. If you've done a car deal lately, you know what I'm talking You know, there's stuff that I got to provide, and there's stuff they got to provide. And I, so I got to trust those guys over there because I don't have a UOEO. There's, there's something about this that's kind of like a UOEO. God says, I have done this for you, and here's what you're going to do for me in return. Steve, pick up verse 16. Read down through 19, would you? Pretty dramatic moment. Let's talk about that for a minute. Would somebody, Sally, since I've got you nearby, would you find your way over to Hebrews 12 and in a little bit read 1221? It's almost at the end of your New Testament. Now, the, the scenario is, you know, if you've studied the Old Testament at all, you know that in the wilderness, God was with them day by day. His presence was represented how? A pillar. Yeah, pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Uh, and there were all kinds of things that happened as a result of that. Uh, it's pretty wonderful. Uh, at night, the, the fire um, gave them light to camp by. It gave them <clears throat> warmth from um, my understanding is, Daryl, you would know about this. I don't know about this as much. But my guess is a, a searing desert heat can also get pretty cold at night. Is that right? Okay, I wanted to have somebody who, who's lived there and kind of knows that deal. Um, you know way too much about that. Could be, so they were protected. Can you imagine traveling under a cloud to just protect you from the searing heat of the sun in the desert? That's kind of how God took care of them for this 40 years. And at night, he would provide warmth for them, provide protection for them, light, all those things. Uh, uh, one little detail that I came up with even recently is that the pillar of cloud by day also obscured that during the time when the Egyptians were in pursuit of them, it kind of obscured their vision of uh, that the cloud goes from in front of them to behind them. And I'm thinking, what's that about? Well, it's so the Egyptians can't see them. I, I mean, God really took care of them during that time. But now this cloud is going to have a different, there's a different kind of cloud we're dealing with here. Um, uh, this is one that's protected them. Now they're going to have one that's kind of ominous. The, the word that I want you to put in your first blank here is that there's the overwhelming nature of all these unusual events. Now they're, they're kind of natural events, but they happen kind of in an unusual way. They're terrifying to them. They ter all these things kind of terrify the people. Moses himself, according to the New Testament, was scared in this moment. Or if you come from Paola, scared. Okay? I've heard that anyway. Uh, Hebrews 12, 21. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I 
it's talking about this scene. Can you imagine Charlton Heston trembling with fear? I'm not sure Moses looked like Charlton Heston, but I, I always think of him that way. I'm sorry. I've seen that movie too many times. Moses himself was terrified. If he's scared, and he's had an encounter with God or two. Uh, by the way, he's also uh, defeated the Egyptian army and uh, kind of mani- uh, oversaw ten plagues that God got involved in, right? And yet, there's so much going on that's kind of supernatural here, although using some natural forces, that Moses himself is scared to death. Um, now, it's, it's really interesting uh, what they're up against here, if, if you go back to this particular passage, what they're up against is uh, they've got, uh, notice the things, we've got thunder, we got lightning, we got a thick cloud, and a trumpet starts to blast, and it wasn't blown by a person. This is a heavenly trumpet of some kind, and my understanding of this is, imagine in your mind that the the best correlation I could come up with in my mind is uh, um, a, a tornado warning. But it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. That's where they are. At the foot of the mountain of God, Moses says, don't go up there to hear the trumpet. Uh, don't come close to this thing to hear the trumpet. The trumpet starts to blast in the middle of all this other phenomenon. And it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. The people are scared to death. You might want to Google sometime. I read a little bit about this this week. I know nothing about it. It's called. Uh, it's a phenomenon called dirty lightning. Anybody ever? That's a thing. Dirty lightning. It typically happens um, when a volcano erupts. Volcanic lightning may result. Can you imagine? As bad as a volcano must be to have lightning accompany it. But it's the idea here. Um, it happens in the midst of the ash being expelled from a volcano. Uh, someone has called it the fusion of flash with ash. <laughs> Scientists know that it takes a powerful eruption to create enough electrical en- energy to allow the study of volcanic lightning. So they don't know a whole lot about it. Um, so even as I, I study that, though, if, if I'm L.A. Schneider, I might think, oh, that's what this was. It was just very natural. It was part of a volcano. Not so much. Because what has happened here, it's interesting, it helps me with this, is that even if, I, if a skeptic could kind of try to explain away this miraculous, these miraculous things that are going on, the survival of Moses in the middle of it all is not explainable at all. If this was all natural, then why didn't it take Moses' life? So there's something supernatural going on here. It's very, very important that you and I catch this. Now, verse 17. When Moses first met with God, remember that story from your reading of the book of Exodus, first couple of chapters? When Moses first met God, did he have a lot of warning or preparation time? You remember he sees a burning bush and he says, I gotta go check this out because it's burning, but it's not burned up. And so he goes over to it and God speaks to him from the burning bush, says, Take off your shoes. Remember that whole deal. 
He had no time to prepare for that. It just God just serendipitously shows up in the middle of the desert. Well, in Exodus 3, in, the, in that story, Moses is commanded to take off his shoes because this is holy ground. But he didn't get the kind of prep time that we see given to the people of God here in verse 17 and in such places like that. Moses had no time. They've had three days. Now let's go back a few verses from before what Steve read in 16. And Steve, before you leave, can I get you to go to verse 11 and read down through 15? That'll give us some context. It'll tell us kind of how they prepared. They knew God was coming on the mountain. I think this is very interesting. They had three days. Verse 11 down through 15. There's some warnings here. Okay, it's not going to be safe for you to go up there. Now when the horn sounds, you can approach. But don't you dare do it before then. All right, so there's some warnings here. But the point here is they've been given time. That's what goes in your next blank. They've been given time to prepare this. They know it's going to be on the third day. I find that really intriguing. That even though Moses didn't get any kind of time to prepare to meet with God the first time, they've, they've had three days and, and lots of warning and prep time to kind of get, uh, get into this thing um, for this meeting with God. Now, when I read verse 18, the thought that occurs to me is why would you want to get close? Somebody read verse 18 out loud again. Smoke, what else? Fire, lots of it, like a furnace. What else? Quaking. We get that a little better now in Oklahoma than we did a few years back, don't we? But we don't have quaking here, at least not at my house, like this, where the ground is rumbling and it's constant through this period of time. Why would you want to go close? <laughs> and we're going to talk about this a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand what these people are like here. Why would they want to approach this? Um, and and you've got to catch this. This is not, this trumpet that is beginning to sound, again, is like a siren and it's getting louder and louder and louder. Something is getting ready to happen. They knew it was coming because they were warned three days ago it was going to happen. And now that it's happening, it's like. Natural things used in a supernatural way. Did you read about the tragedy in El Capitan in California this week? I mean, it's awful. I mean, the, the little couple that was, they were here from Wales, I think. And, and this was their uh, First anniversary, and they're climbing the face of El Capitan, and and uh, um, uh, literally the the husband 
falls on the wife to try to save her. He, he dies. She's severely hurt uh, because of a rock slide. Uh, one news report that I read said there were chunks of granite coming off of that the size of an apartment building. Knowing the awesome power of God, why would you want to approach? I mean, I, I had the thought, okay, knowing that this occasionally happens, why would you want to try to climb El Capitan? Now, Paul Harrison would want to climb El but not me. Why would you want to do that, knowing that you're putting your life at risk? And yet, people do these things, right? <laughs> like jumping out of a, a perfectly good airplane. Yeah, okay, yeah. All those kinds of things. Well, isn't it interesting? Now, this is going to factor in a little bit here. So, in verse 19, the sound of the trumpet is surrounding them. And it's a prelude to what God is going to say to them. He's getting ready to talk to them. Now, I want you to go back with me. Everybody go back a few pages to Exodus 9. I want to read some contextual, um, a couple of contextual verses here. This is earlier, certainly in the story. This is during the ten plagues. And I'm going to go to 9.23. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail in the land of Egypt. Now look, look down, same chapter, verse 28. I'm going to read 28 29. Make supplication to the Lord, for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. Now catch that word thunder when it comes by. And I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I get out of the city, I'll spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know the earth is the Lord's. Now we understand thunder in Oklahoma in uh, more than just a basketball team, right? We get that some here. Uh, we get, you know, I've gotten such, I get such a kick out of the meteorologist in Oklahoma that uh, for uh, coining new terms for things, you know, uh, we now get thunder sleet and thunder snow and, you know, all that stuff. Never heard of that, you know, 20 years ago, but we get it now. The, have you been around some thunder sleet or thunder snow? It's kind of cool. I mean, it, but it's like, ooh, there's a, there's a really cold thunderstorm going on. Well, there's this, this word thunder that Moses uses here in, verse, in chapter 9 is the word used in this passage in verse 19. Let's go back and look at verse 19 in chapter 19. So 19, 19. Uh, here's the word. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. So the, the, the thought here is that God's voice thundered. If you've been close to lightning and hear the thunder, you know that deal where you count 1,001, 1,002, you know. They, if you're really close to it and you hear a clap of thunder, you know how loud that can be. So in the middle of all this quaking and fire and smoke and a trumpet that's incredibly loud and getting louder, the voice of God goes over that like thunder. Like thunder. Kind of an interesting phenomenon here. The word here of, that's used voice is translated thunder in chapter 9. 
Okay, let's, let's go on and read a, a few more verses. Somebody want to go to chapter, uh, verse 20 and read down through 25? Who will do that? Thank you, Jen. Now, will somebody go, it'll be five minutes or so before we get there, but I need somebody to go to Leviticus, um, which is uh, the next, next book to the right, and we're going to read from Leviticus 10, the first three verses. Somebody go to that and kind of hold on to it for a minute. Thank you, Cindy. Okay, now, Moses is 80 years old. I'll put the reference where it says that. In 7, 7 says Moses is 80 years old. So he's 80 plus probably by now. And he's asked by God, invited. The word here is invited. Moses waits till he's invited. But then he takes an uphill climb of several thousand feet up the mountain by himself. I, I think that's really interesting. And by the way, he's, he's no more there than God says, you need to go back down. And warn the people. Oh, you know, I'm thinking, why can I catch my breath, Lord? Did you catch that as Jan was reading? He gets up there, the 80-year-old man climbing a mountain, thousands of feet. He gets up there, and God says, I need you to go back down. You know, I, I hope Moses didn't go. That's what my daughter would do. I don't know what that thing is, but you've done it. Okay? He doesn't do that. He just goes back down. Now, uh, what we got to catch here, I think, is that Moses waits and then goes. He waits until invited. To go up and spend time with God. I got a crazy little application here going through my head. So what are you waiting for? You realize, you recognize that you have a standing invitation to spend time with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Master of the Universe. Anytime. Morning, noon, and night. Anytime. I'm awake at four o'clock this morning. He was there. Okay? He... Talk to me, four o'clock this morning. It just, isn't it interesting? I, I, I get caught in a traffic jam. I'm, I'm stopped in traffic for 10 minutes. I'm not happy about that. Guess what? The Lord is there. And sometimes he tells me to calm down. Moses had to wait for an invitation from God to come up to the mountain to spend time with him. What do you and I need to wait for? Nothing. We have a standing invitation. 
Jesus made that possible with his death and resurrection. It, I, I just find this interesting. That the people had to be invited by the trumpet sound. Moses had to be invited by the voice of God. And they responded in the right way. But you and I don't really have to wait for anything. And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe there's nothing, maybe you and I are looking for some, something dramatic. Maybe we're looking for, uh, you know, to, to get an, an engraved invitation in the mail with an RSVP. I don't know. But I don't have to wait for any kind of specific invitation, um, depending on what, what your background is. I don't have to wait. In order to approach God, I don't have to go through somebody else. His son has already made the way straight. I don't have to, I don't have, to have a priest or, or a preacher or somebody else. I, I would like to pray. Would you help me pray? No, you don't have to do that. I would like to, to worship or praise God. Well, I'm not at church. I can't really do it. Yeah, you can you can address him. The invitation is open all the time. So my question is, what are you waiting for? And it's a question I'm asking myself, frankly. What are you waiting for? What is it today that you're waiting for before you approach the Lord? Uh, the book of Hebrews is full of the thoughts that I don't, the, the way has been made straight and plain. I don't have to wait for anything else. So in verse 21, there's a temptation, I think, on, on the table that we've got to talk about for just a minute. Uh, in verse 21, uh, that Cindy read for us a little bit ago, uh, Moses uh, is spoken to by God, and he says, I need you to go back down there and warn them, because they're going to want to come running up here, tell them not to do that. I, I think there is an interesting thing that happens here that, that you and I... Um, um, are kind of victims of. Um, I, on one of the rainy days this week, I'm driving to work, and I'm going south, and I watch a person in an SUV coming north, and they must have hit some ponding on the road. Next thing I know, that knew there was an SUV doing one of these, tore up a bunch of grass in the median, and then hit that, thank the Lord, the thing that we spent millions of dollars on, those, those uh, barrier cable, cable barrier things. It worked. I mean, this was a big, heavy car, and this guy just bounced into it. Um, didn't, didn't roll the car over. I, I assumed they were okay. But immediately, not just in northbound traffic, but in southbound traffic, everybody stopped. What is that phenomenon? It's called the rubberneck phenomenon. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Uh, I, it is. It's interesting. Uh, they have coined that, uh, they call that the slowdown in traffic for that kind of thing on the other side of the road where there's nothing wrong, which you and I have all been part of, is called uh, gaper's delay or rubbernecking delay. There's a term for that. It's because we are, we are by nature very inquisitive. We're very curious. But curiosity is a double-edged sword. Uh, curiosity was a positive thing for Zacchaeus in the New Testament. He climbed up in a tree, wanted to see Jesus, remember that? But it was not a good thing for, if you remember Herod, when the wise men came to the palace and he said, hey, let me know where Jesus is, I want to go see him. Hmm, he didn't have the best of agendas in mind for the infant son of God, all right? 
So you and I got to be careful here uh, and, and kind of closely monitor um, um, this issue of, of just um, uh, being kind of curious. So to get a look at God um, is kind of the idea. If, if, if you're down there, you're thinking, I've got, there's all of this phenomenon going on. I want to see him. I want to, you know, I'm going to just get up there and see him. And, and basically Moses comes back off the mountain and says, God tells me, uh, don't give in to your curiosity there. Now, the beauty of this is, I need to understand this now. God is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. Can I say that again? There's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to talk about it in just a minute when we kind of close this out. But I want you to go with me to John 1.18. It's just a couple of lines of verse. John 1.18 in the New Testament. There is a very, very important understanding here that you and I have got to catch about who God is and how he works in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there is a new revelation when Jesus comes on the scene that's very, very important here. Is it okay for you and I to be curious about God? Evidently in this scene, it was not. Somebody read John 1.18. Did you get there? No one's seen God. There's a scene we're in right here, right? No one has seen him at any time. And one of the translations says, no one's seen God at any time. But God, the one and only, talking about Jesus, has made him known. Uh, think of this. He has fleshed him out. Can I tell you something? And I've proven this a lot in 40 years or so of ministry. Jesus is not at all nervous about your curiosity. <laughs> in fact, Walt, you and I were talking yesterday about a mutual friend of ours who had a curiosity but not faith, and it turned out okay for him. For years and years, for 20 years of my life, he asked question after question after question. Jesus didn't get nervous at all. He didn't get up from the throne and say, Father, would you take care of this? Curiosity's okay where Jesus is concerned. Most of the great skeptics in our world throughout the last 20 centuries have discovered that Jesus is open to scrutiny. Prove him wrong. If you were in Alabama, you'd say, I double dog dare you to prove me wrong. You can be curious about things of God. But they couldn't hear. This is not a time for a looky-loo. Moses basically says. All right, so uh, in, ver in verse 22, it says, now tell the priest, uh, wait a minute, they're not exempt from this either. Um, and I, I want to read this a little bit of context. Uh, who went, who, did somebody get Leviticus 10? Thank you, Cindy, the first three verses. It's going to talk about Nadab and Abihu who are the sons of Aaron.
This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all people, I will be Okay, now these two boys presumed, they presumed, I'm not really sure what strange fire is, but they presumed and they lost their life. Now, what, what we've got to deal with here is that um, uh, if, if and these two boys were priests, their dad was the high priest, um, the, the, the issue is here, the priest can't presume or assume that they're exempt from this boundary. That being said, these boundaries are clearly from the Lord, and Aaron is going to be called in verse 24 to go up the mountain with Moses. He gets, he's kind of in preparation for being the high priest later on, and he's being groomed in that way. And so part of Aaron's role as high priest is to go up the mountain with Moses. But there's an interesting thing going on here. Just be really careful to keep the boundaries straight. Now, it's interesting here. I read a statement this week that I really liked. The people generally had a lot of awe in this story. They had a lot of awe. There were a lot of awesome things going on. They should have had a lot of awe. They had a lot of awe, but very little submission. I've got to be careful that I'm not guilty of that. A lot of awe, but very little submission. And so, basically, as Cindy was reading a bit ago, as, as, uh, uh, as Jan was reading, they're... It says, if you do this, if you don't maintain the boundary, God's going to break out. And I'm not really sure what that means, what breakout means. I did some reading on that this week. But it's just not going to go very well if you don't heed the warning. Whatever it is, it's just kind of not good. So, I left us with a couple of questions I want to handle in the last three or four minutes here. Is there a different God conveyed in the Old and New Testament? I think sometimes we think that, but what I want you to, uh, what I want to point to you today as we kind of finish this up is that here's this kind of unapproachable God that we see here. But clearly, the scriptures teach consistently about the mercy and the judgment of God in both Testaments. In fact, if, you're, if you continue to read in the book of uh, Exodus, you're going to read that... Um, by the time we get to Exodus 34, the Bible in the Old Testament, in this same book, talks about the mercy and grace of God. Uh, it's just this beautiful uh, thought here. It's not only just in John 3.16, but right here at Exodus 34.6, here's what it says. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's in this book. The same book. So please don't go there in the thought that there's a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And go back to John 1.18 to this explanation that's so wonderful that Jesus made him known to us. Now, so what does this passage tell us about the importance of worship? It sounds like it's pretty important. And it also tells us if they took three days to prepare to meet God, maybe you and I ought to take at least 10 or 15 minutes on Sunday, you know. Uh, I have realized over the years, and this is certainly true of me even the older I get, that I've got to spend more time getting ready for Sundays than I used to. I don't know what that means for you. I won't make even any suggestions. Maybe it has to do with uh, not staying up till OSU finally won that game last night. I don't know. 
But whatever it takes to prepare to meet with the Lord on Sunday, I ought to do. Well, I want to go to one more place because I can't leave this chapter without going there and then we'll quit. Go up, up the page to verse 3. 19.3. Here's what God says to them. Moses went up to God um, and he said, Say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You ever heard that expression before? I bore you on eagles' wings. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Those of you, you guys that are with me in Bible study have heard us talk about this a month or so ago. But, but, but it's just really important. I was doing some studying about this a month or two ago and I, I recognize that if you look at, Joe brought me an eagle talon one day to show me what they're like. I've seen the video, maybe you've seen the YouTube video of the, of the eagle that swoops down on the lake, picks up a snake, carries it off. You've seen him carry larger animals in these incredible talents. Here's what the, the Lord says. I didn't carry you in my talons. That would have not been very pleasant. The truth is, look this up. When an eagle carries her young, they hang on to her back across the span of her wings, not in her, what you and I would call hands. That would be way too rough for a little eaglet. When God has carried you, he carried you on his back, on eagle's wings. He reminds them here that he's done that for them for generation after generation after generation. What I want to say to you is that he carries you there because he knows that there is the safest place for you to be. He'll get you from point A to point B and if Satan attacks, he's got to go through him first. Let God carry you on his wings today. Will you do that? I'll see you next week. We'll be in Exodus 20.